Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys here and great to see everybody online. What a week. There's been a lot of activity around here. As Jeff was saying, we're moving stuff back in and uh, really excited about using this space uh, in all the ways that God intends for us going into this new year. Um, You'll notice that we're taking a break from Luke and uh, we'll get back to that after, uh, after today. But we're going to go back to a theme that we started at the beginning of our year uh, around gifting. I'm going to talk more about that later. But uh, we're going to hit that today and then we'll get back into the Gospel of Luke after that. So I brought a gift with me today. And I'm going to give this to someone in the room. Now, with this gift, there's a couple of pretty cool opportunities, all right? The contents of this gift, whoever gets it, they get to use those contents to help someone in need. So that's that's opportunity number one. The second thing is, whoever gets this gift, they get to tell their story with David Wilkinson. We're starting a thing called the Story Station where we get to talk about what God's doing in our lives, in us and through us, and all that kind of stuff. So whoever gets this gift, they get to sit down with David and talk about what God did in them and in the person that they helped. Okay, So I'm just wondering, who in here is interested in getting this gift? Okay, we have a seven-year-old back here. You ready, Brent? You want this thing? All right, come on up here, man. There you go. You. Now, don't open it yet. I, <laughs> I know you're excited. More nervous. He's nervous. That's all right. That's good. That's really good. What if Brent took his gift home? And as he went in and he's unloading all this, they got kids and they're putting every stuff everywhere. And he just kind of set that gift bag down on a shelf somewhere. And then just left it there. Now, we might think, well, we don't know what's in there. So, I mean, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. I mean, maybe he'll get to it eventually. There's all that. What if you knew that there were $500 in that gift? Now, that would, that would, you'd feel something about that, wouldn't you? You'd think, wow, there's somebody out there somewhere. That Brent knows. Like he's got a relationship with them. And that $500 could make a huge difference in their life. Maybe their electricity is about to get turned off. Maybe they can't buy groceries this week. Maybe there's a health issue. And they're facing some serious costs there. Maybe there's been a layoff of some kind. Who knows? But you know, if that gift is just sitting on the shelf, it really doesn't matter how much money's in there, is it? It's just sitting there. So Brent, I can't wait to hear what happens. But here's the thing about giving Brent this gift today. I am absolutely 100% sure that God is going to do as much in Brent's life as he seeks to help somebody with something he's been given, as he will do in the life of the person that gets that $500. 
So I'm glad to give him that gift. And I'm glad for him to receive it and get everything from having that gift that he'll get. So I do look forward to hearing that story. Now the spiritual gift, because that's what we're talking about, that God put in you is infinitely more valuable than $500. And yet, more often than not, that gift gets put on the shelf of our lives. It's often unwrapped, unknown, unopened, and unused. And there's somebody somewhere, probably a lot of somebody somewhere, that would benefit more than you can imagine from that gift that God put in your life. And yet if it does remain unwrapped, unknown, and unused, then it's just a loss. That's just all it is. It's a loss. And it's a loss in that person's life that would receive you using that gift, and it's a loss in your life because you don't get to receive what God intended to do in you as he was working through you. That is why we are spending so much time an entire year to talk about this this, uh, really core strategy of ours of connecting inward with our gifting. It's just a crucial foundational part of the Christian life. We started back in uh, September talking about that this whole year we were going to make our way through a study of our spiritual gifts. And we started with instruction. We had a four-week series. And then uh, we talked about in January, early on this year, we're going to talk about um, discovery, discovering our gifts. Then we're going to move into an activation phase where we begin to find a place. Now that we know our gift, we find a place to use it, put it to work. And then lastly, as we get to the end of our ministry year, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have opportunities to hear about what God did in us and through us as we learned and utilized our gifts. In September and October with that series, we asked four questions. We asked, what are spiritual gifts? Why do we have them? How do we use our spiritual gifts? And then what should we expect to see from our spiritual gifts? Now, if you go to our website, if you weren't here during that series, or maybe it's a little bit foggy, you can go to our website. Uh, You can click on menu at the top right corner of the page. Then click under the header, Grow, Spiritual Gifts. All those messages, all the notes, all that stuff is there. There's some helpful resources, one of which I'm going to mention today. All of that stuff is there. So if you want to go back and check some of that out, um, love for you to do that and hopefully benefit from it. We defined a spiritual gift this way. A spiritual gift is an ability freely given and enabled by the Spirit of God for the purpose of cultivating connected followers of Christ. So the idea that we could do our mission without using the gifts that God gave us, like that is just completely biblically untenable. It, it just doesn't even follow. It, it's that God has a mission for us. He put us here. He put gifts in us so that we could do what only he can do. Does that make sense? 
So we want to make sure we, we track with this. One of the things that we said from the very beginning was that every believer gets at least one gift when they place their trust in Christ. That's just a standard idea. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 7, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Each one, no exceptions. No one gets left out. No one gets left behind on that. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these gifts, Paul, he's teaching about gifts. He says all of these gifts that he just listed are empowered by one and the same Spirit to each one individually as he wills. Like God made you and he knows exactly what he put in you and why he put it there. He has purposes for your life that are directly connected to how he gifted you to serve. Now, we mentioned, and I realize some of this is review, but it's easy to lose sight, and it's always good for me to refresh my memory. We uh, mentioned some key biblical passages that teach us about spiritual gifts. We looked at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. We highlighted all four of those. In each of those passages, spiritual gifts are listed. Now, some lists are longer than others, and I think we said that, that those aren't exhaustive lists. We shouldn't just assume that, well, if it's not in the Bible, it can't be a spiritual gift. We just said that if it's in the Bible, we're very confident that it's a spiritual gift. It's at least that. Maybe it's bigger, but it's certainly those lists. Now, we gave you a chart, and you'll see it up on the screen. This is also at our link on the website, but we took all of the gifts that are listed in those passages and we broke them up into three categories, prophetic, priestly, and kingly. And remember, we talked about that helping us understand um, if we were to exercise that gift, and there's some overlap for sure, but as we exercise that gift, that's the function that we're, we're serving. So if you follow down all of those under the prophetic, there's going to be some truth-telling that's associated with those gifts. It, there's a variety of ways in which that's done, but that's the primary function of that grouping of gifts. And that goes over to the priestly and then over to the kingly. So again, think about it. Brent got a gift this morning. He's got this gift bag right now. I mean, he knows what's in there now, but had I not said anything, it's, there's something in there. So we want to open that up and we want to begin to look and go, okay, what did God put in this gift bag? What do I have? And then I can begin to ask, what can I do with it? We honestly, guys, we get this backwards. We first start thinking about what we want to go do. And then we just assume that God's going to supply whatever gift we get, we want, to go do what we want to do. You see how that's backwards. We're supposed to go to the gift giver and say, first of all, what did you give me? Now, based upon that, that begins to narrow the field a little bit. Now I can begin to think about what it is you want me to do. And I can be faithfully doing that. So a lot of that, again, is review. There is a fundamental understanding in Ephesians 2 that talks about us being God's workmanship, 
created in Christ for good works. We are God's workmanship. He is doing a work in us. He is sanctifying us. Remember that theological word that represents life change. So we are his workmanship. He's changing us, transforming us. And we were created, given life, given breath, given gifts to do good works. We can't know what those good works are without really being clear about what the gifts are. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do good works. Like, we should always be willing and able to just kind of do and serve and love and care and do all that kind of stuff just as a way of life. But we're talking about very specific. It's like we're a team. We're a family. Everybody has a part to play. And your part is directly connected to your gift or gifts. Now, God doesn't build his church with generalists. He literally creates workmanship specialists. God doesn't build his church, and that's what he's about, building his church. He doesn't do that with generalists. He does it with specialists. Now, this became very clear to me over in 2020. Um, it Certainly, it goes further back than that. But if you're a homeowner, okay, um, and you're taking care of a home, maintenance and repair, things come up, okay? So we moved into a house in March of last year. And one of the things we were so excited about this house was we were moving in and we, it was just ready to go. It was like we said to each other, we're not going to have to do anything. We're just going to come in here, unpack our stuff, and start living. Enjoy this place. Well, it wasn't too long after that that um, all my downspouts were dropping water right by the foundation. That's a little concerning. So I got to do some work getting the water away from the house. Then I go under the house, and it's a mess under there. So I got to do some work underneath the house in the crawl space. Um, let's see, what else happened? Oh, yeah, the septic, the, the toilets and things start, you know, gurgling. That's a bad sign when you got septic. So we got to have a septic stuff figured out. Then our refrigerator, the, the water line on the refrigerator, it just broke right in the middle of the night while my sweet wife was sleeping and I was out of town flooded our, uh, our kitchen. So we had to replace the entire floors in our house, all the wood floors. We had to take those out, put them back in. That means taking the cabinets out, plumbing out, electrical stuff, all kinds of... You remember that idea when we moved into the house and we thought, man, we just get to move in and start living? Well, that didn't happen. Now, there's others, but just imagine... If I had just called somebody and their, their uh, headline in, you know, where you're trying to find workers was generalist, I just kind of do it all. But I need a plumber or I need a septic guy or I need someone to go into the crawl space or I need a roofer. Right? You see what I'm saying? Like we don't hire generalists. We want somebody that knows what they're doing about a very specific thing. They're trained to do it. They're ready to go. Now, this really hit home a few weeks ago. Um, I had a tree in my front yard. I'm going to show you a picture of this, and I'm just going to tell you. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to tell the story anyway because it makes a point. So if you look on the left side there, that's the tree. 
and that's the end of our house, that little shed-looking thing. So the tree was dead, and I've used chainsaws before. So I'm just thinking, I'm just going to cut that thing down. So I went out there and went after it, and I start cutting. Now, if you look on the other side, you'll see I'm a little out of practice. So I got my nice wedge there to direct the tree away from the house when it falls, but my cut's about probably five or six inches too low, and here's what happened. I totally killed my saw. I locked it up right in the end of that cut. So I'm like, there's hardly anything holding the tree up. It's breezy, and my saw stops, deader than a doornail. Now, in that moment, live with me there for a minute. (laughs) Notice how close the tree is to my house. I'm terrified. There's a breeze, thinking this thing's going to go down any second. Do you think I was going to call a generalist? You think I was just going to call some guy who might know something about yard work? No, I want a specialist. And you know what? I knew one. I called him up. I'm like, Luke, and I'm panicking. I, I need help now, like right now. I need somebody to come over here and help me figure out how to make sure this tree doesn't fall on my house. Within 30 minutes, he sent one of his guys who's an expert And he was as cool as a cucumber. I'm I'm like, dude, this tree's about to fall on my house. He's like, oh, we got it. He's just kind of meandering around doing Dropped it perfectly. No problem at all because he was a specialist. The church is full of specialists, but most of them don't even know it. And we often try to go about the mission of God just being generalist. Like just roll up your sleeves and just start doing something without thinking, you know what? God actually intended for you to play a very specific role, a specific part. And when you're not doing that, we, we lose. We miss out on something incredibly valuable. And also there's something that God wants to do in you. As a result, we need specialists, not generalists. As we connect inward with our gifting, we discover the specific part that God wants us to play in the mission. I hope you get excited about that. I hope you feel a significant sense of purpose for being here other than just attending. Now with discovery in mind, let's take a quick look at uh, one of the key passages that I mentioned earlier, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. And let me read this and then we'll look at some takeaways from this passage. As each has received a gift, there it is again, just to make sure everybody remembers that each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, before looking at the takeaways, I'll just make a a brief mention that this does help us answer the question, why do we have spiritual gifts? 
we have them to enable us to serve one another. So there, there is a connection there. That's part of how we work together as a church family. So we receive our gifts in order to serve one another. But even more important than that, ultimately, we're given gifts which we use to serve so that we can glorify the gift giver. God glorifies himself through his people as they put the gifts that he gave them to work. That's the why behind our receiving these gifts. Now, here's some takeaways from this passage that I think will help us as we move into this discovery phase, as we start to unwrap our gift bags. Every believer can know the gift they have received. God is not interested in keeping that a secret from you. If he gave you the gift, don't you think he would want you to know what it is and how you could use it? Now, Peter assumes that his audience knows if they're gifted generally as speakers or servants. Now, remember from our series, those were the two broadest categories. We start very broad and we get more and more and more specific as we get into those lists. So all of the gifts can be lumped into one of these two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Neither is more important than the other. We need both. But you probably have, your gift is in one of those two categories, so that's a great place to start. And Peter assumes that they know. I mean, they're saying, uh, as one who speaks... Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So whoever received this letter, they're sitting there. He says, if you speak, and they would go, yeah, that's me. He just assumes that they know that. So it can be assumed that we can know that. Paul assumes the same thing in the Romans list and the 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. There's an expectation that God's people know how God has gifted them. So every believer has a gift bag. I hope that that just echoes in your heart and mind from this point forward for the rest of your life. You have this amazing, infinitely valuable gift bag that God gave you the day that you entrusted your life to Christ. And you get to spend the rest of your life discovering the fullness of that gift and then putting it to work and seeing all of the amazing ways that God can use you in the life of someone else. So every believer can know the gift that they have received. Secondly, every believer is a steward of the gift they have received. A steward, that's an important biblical word that we need to understand as Christians. Basically what that means is we're accountable to God for what he has given us. Now, this isn't heavy, but Brent, he said, I want the gift. So we gave him the gift. And he's going to go help somebody with that gift. And the accountability is Brent and I are going to sit down and talk about it. I want to hear about it. What happened? How did that go down? How did God put that person on your heart? How did they respond when they got it? What did God do in you? As you gave that away. What was that like? 
That's the accountability as a steward. Because that money, it was the church's money, and we want to help somebody. So we thought, hey, let's, let's give that money away so that somebody in our body can help somebody. Is that tracking with me there? That's how we're working together. There's some accountability related to that. Paul told Timothy, who was gifted just like everybody else, he said, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the gift you have. Do not neglect the gift you have. Don't put it on the shelf. Put it to work. There is a direct connection between our gifting and how we serve. It's not the only factor, but certainly one of the most important. Your gift comes with an assignment. So you're a steward, not an owner. That, that means that gift that you have, that really isn't just for your own enjoyment. It's not for your own significance or ego. It's a tool. Maybe that's another way to think about it. It's a tool that you get to use to build, to build up the church, accomplish God's purposes. And it's best not to think of this as a have to, but as a get to. So it's not like we owe God something. It's like, well, thanks for the gift. I, I guess I owe you everything else. It's like, no, you got the gift. You get to use it. What if you didn't have a gift? What if you got left out? What if you were lost, didn't even know Christ, and you're trying to make your way through life? Do you see the get-to of that, that you know God, you have his spirit, you have his word, you live in community, and you have this precious gift that he has placed inside of you to accomplish his purposes. Every believer can know the gift they've received, and every believer is a steward of the gift that they have received. Finally, good stewardship of our gifts does four things. I think we mentioned this in the fall as well. First of all, good stewardship of our gifts displays the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. This is the primary way that God shows himself to the world, is when you and I are using our spiritual gifts. Secondly, it meets the needs of our community of faith. There are very real needs in our church and very real gifts that meet those needs. And this isn't only an inward focus because as we're doing that well, we're super healthy and we can go reach the world. If we're not doing that well, we're dysfunctional and unhealthy. Now imagine trying to bring that to the world. And in some ways they're going, why would I want that? But when they see us serving each other, and they see God using us in each other's lives, that they're like, I want some of that. Love to be a part of that community. Helps meet the needs of our community of faith. It builds up the body of Christ. That is the plan. It's not like there's alternatives. It's not like God just says, hey, you guys, just do whatever you want to. He's building his church, and this is his method of doing it. And then lastly, good stewardship of our gifts glorifies God. It puts all the attention 
on him. And I guess we should say that using our gifts should never outshine the gospel. It it should just be a means of pointing people to the gospel. Like the only reason I'm ever doing what I'm doing, the only reason my life ever bears any fruit at all is because the gospel is true and I know it and it's changing me. That's the relationship between our gifts and the gospel. So spiritual gifts engage the gifted, they assist the needy, and they unveil the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're shifting into this stage of discovery. We'll think about unwrapping the gift that God has given us. And as you're doing that, I want to look at Romans 12, 3 through 6 to get a good sense of what kind of mindset ought we, ought we to have as we're unwrapping our gift. Let me read it to you first and then we'll make some comments. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. As you unwrap your gift, which I hope you'll be doing over the next couple of months, First of all, remember where it came from. It's so tempting once we finally figure that out to forget that it was a gift and we kind of start taking control, managing that gift, using it for our own purposes, using it for our own benefit. That's a dangerous direction to go. Kenneth Boa says, grace comes by way of mercy. He, he talks about the grace given him. So grace comes by way of mercy, not by merit or heritage. It is by the grace given to Paul that he writes authoritatively to the church in Rome concerning the grace given to them. So Paul obviously had some speaking gifts, right? Some apostolic gifts. So he had those, but those are just grace to him. He didn't earn them. He's very clear about that. If anything, he's the last guy on earth that should have gotten any favor from God. So he very quickly says, by the grace given to me, I'm going to direct you to act upon the grace that's given to you. And it's all grace, every bit of it, his and theirs. He says for them to... um, Think properly with sober judgment. That is to be of sound mind or to be in your right mind, to be reasonable or sensible about the gift that you have been given. That's that idea of don't think too highly. Humility would say also don't think too lowly. Sometimes people put their gift on the shelf because they think too little of themselves. They're like, ah, God doesn't want to use a guy like me. I've got too much in my past that would, that would keep God from using me. 
And if anybody knew my past, well, they wouldn't want to receive any kind of gift I might give. So we put it on the shelf. And Paul's saying, remember that gifts, this is a gift of grace that you've received. Don't think too highly, but don't think too lowly. Just think rightly that you have been chosen by God and given a gift to accomplish his purposes according to the measure of grace that God has, or faith that God has assigned. So that's another one of those things, and we're going to get deeper into this in just a minute, but God gives all of us faith, and he doesn't give exactly the same amount to every person. But every person has every bit of the faith that they need to do what God's called them to do. So all God expects us to do is to act upon the faith that we possess, whether that's small or large. In fact, oftentimes, just a little bit of faith accomplishes amazing things. We're waiting for that big faith. God says, I've given you plenty, even if it is that of a mustard seed. And then according to the grace given to us. I'm just telling you guys, if you remember where it came from, it keeps you in a posture of humility and you will gladly use your gift in every opportunity God gives you. He said, you'll just be full of gratitude. Secondly, as you're unwrapping your gift, appreciate the differences. I love the fact that Paul and Peter, neither of them shy away from just saying, you know what, we all have different gifts. Some might be more visible than others. Some might be flashier than others. But it doesn't matter because it's just all part of the deal. All are necessary. Back to verse 4. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So a leg isn't an arm. An eye isn't an ear. A hand isn't a knee. You see, I mean, like we don't expect any of our body parts to do what another body part is supposed to do or was created to do. We just expect that all these parts fit together. And if each part is doing what it was created to do, you have health. You have wholeness. You have fruitfulness. That's the picture of the church. So it's just for you and I to find our part and then celebrate what everybody else is doing. Like, wouldn't it be great if everybody just in this room right here, everybody online, what if all of us were able to say, got my gift, I know what it is. And then whenever we have a need, like a tree's about to fall on a house, we know who to call. And then they're ready, they're eager they're available they're like yeah I'm a tree guy <laughs> that's what I do thanks for calling how can I help man it's such a beautiful picture function points to offices and roles or positions it's not the same thing as gifting so we are gifted to fulfill our function most importantly, under this appreciating the differences, avoid comparison. I beg of you. 
it's been attributed to Theodore Roosevelt. Probably others have said it, but uh, it's a great phrase. Comparison is the thief of joy. If you want joy in your life, then celebrate what you see around you in the lives of others. You, you can be glad about what God's given you and be glad about what God has given everybody else. Contentment really is the key here, just to thanking God for what he's done in your life. And then lastly, go with what God gave you. Just whatever you got. I, I love the, the picture of the kid who comes up with the, you know, kind of the breadcrumbs and a couple of fish, and he's like, this is all we got. That's a great picture. Just come to God. Come to the church with that. Just say, this is all I got. It's like, it's enough. It's all we need. If everybody does that, we're going to get it done. Put your gifts to work. Take action. And on the front end, especially when we get to that activation phase, it's going to be messy. There's going to be some missteps. You're, you're not going to feel as comfortable walking in your gifts when you're just learning about them, as you will 10 years from now. But if you don't start walking in them, then 10 years from now, the bag is still on the shelf. And then you'll start then maybe. Or maybe 20 years or 30 years or whatever. To help us in this phase of discovery... Um, our staff got together and we researched a lot of different assessments just to help us kind of get started. So prayerfully and discussion and research and all that, we selected an assessment. Now let me say a word about assessments. Some of you probably get nervous about that. You're not a big test taker. Don't sweat it, man. This is the best test you could ever take. Um, all this is, so assessments, unfortunately, and there's like temperament stuff. Everybody's like DISCs and Meyer-Briggs and Enneagram and all those kinds of things. Okay, those are all wonderful assessments, but they are not determinative of anything. And here's why. Because you're the one that's filling out the test. <laughs> all it's telling you is what you think about you. So that doesn't make it true. It just means that, okay, we have a place to start. This is what you think about you. So you want to be honest. You want to be thorough, thoughtful, careful. But you just complete the assessment. You get that feedback. And then you start conversations. You go to those people who know you, people that you trust. And you go, hey, here's what my assessment said. What do you think? Does this seem like it's consistent with who I really am? Do I have any blind spots? Am I missing something? You see what I'm saying? So in, in, in some ways, the assessment eventually is going to be left behind. And we're just going to get into reality of what you have learned about yourself as a result of listening to God, living in community, and acting upon what you know at the time. So, no kidding, we want every single person in this church to take this assessment. So if you're thinking, well, well, you know, I'm just, maybe I'm kind of new here or I, I think I've got a pretty good idea or what. No, everybody, we want you to take this assessment. We've put a little blue or red ribbon. There, there's the, 
That's the location, but you can go to our website, that red ribbon at the top. If you click on that, it will take you directly to it. It will take you about 20 to 30 minutes, okay? Hopefully that feels like a reasonable investment of time to discover your giftedness from God Almighty, right? So go click on that, follow the instructions, you'll get an email back, and then you can start having conversations. Maybe it's with with certainly with family members, with friends, with members of your community group. We're going to do some specific things in community group to facilitate that conversation, but begin to get some feedback from others. One thing as you're processing your results, um, natural, natural abilities are not automatically the same as spiritual gifts. Okay? Now, they're not opposed to one another, but just because you have a natural ability doesn't mean that it is a spiritual gift. It could be God may use natural, natural abilities with supernatural enablement. Those, that can happen, but just don't make that automatic connection. Invite God to show you what your spiritual gifts are, and there'll be some great guidance for that going forward. Uh, Kimberly and I took the assessment. Um, my top three were prophecy, knowledge, and leadership. So, so far that's working out okay, given the part, just the part. I don't do everything. Nobody does. So I've just got a part to play. And those seem to help me play my part. Does that make sense? My wife's, her top three, knowledge, apostleship. Wow, she's an apostle. Just kidding. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, knowledge, apostleship, and exhortation. I, I can see that in her easily. No sweat. It enables her to do everything that she's done for the last 20 years as a person in this church. She has a part to play. You have a part to play. Your assessment results will have 19 categories. And it will list your strongest down to your weakest. Mine was, my lowest one was mercy. It kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> but I hope I don't seem merciless. But if I do, please tell me. I'll work on it. Lord, help me. Um, but that again, that's just giving you some good categories to work with. I want to remind you there are some of these gifts that are known as sign gifts. They operate a little more supernaturally than maybe many of us are comfortable with or even familiar with. We talked about that again back in the fall, so I want you to go back and listen to those. But I gave you a, a phrase, careful continuationism. Remember that? Careful continuationism, which just says those gifts... Miracles, healing, tongues, interpretation of tongues, some of those category of gifts. While they certainly could operate today, no question about it, God can do whatever he wants to do. They did serve a particular function originally in the first century when we only had apostles and didn't have a Bible. So they validated or verified what was true from what the apostles were saying, and then ultimately in Scripture. So Scripture now records all of that. So in other words, it's been verified. 
doesn't mean that those gifts can operate. It just means that we are careful or cautious about those. And, and many of us have also seen great abuses with those gifts in particular. So just a, a good word. Lastly, I think there may be some questions about two of these gifts in particular. Apostleship, okay? My sweet wife, she's got that gift. So that is not an office, it's a gift. So the office is what those who, the, the 12 disciples, those were apostles. And that was a very unique role that God established to found the church. Once all those guys are dead, the apostolic line ends. But the gift can continue on, and particularly as it relates to pioneering efforts, like opening up new ministry frontiers, starting stuff, okay? That's where an apostolic gift, because that's what the apostles were doing, that's where that gift is activated, So you could have a well-established church that's 20 years old and we could start a new ministry area. And we would probably want somebody giving some leadership to that area that's gifted this way. Does that make sense? So that's all we're talking about. So if you get apostle or apostleship on your results, you don't need to kind of get nervous like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm now with the 12? Like, (laughs) wow, I got a big job ahead of me. Um, That's apostleship. Secondly, prophecy. Um, There are Old Testament examples, obviously, of uh, Old Testament prophets. That role was replaced in some ways by apostles in the New Testament. There were aspects of what they did that was foretelling, which is saying, here's what's coming. And that was very, very important in Old and New Testament. Um. But the application since the first century has probably been more of forth-telling. So what that means is one who has a gift of prophecy is able in, in, a, in a unique or unusual way to correlate what God says is true with everyday life. So they're truth-tellers. They do it with grace and mercy and all of that. But that's really all they're doing is connecting the dots with what God has already said with the realities of life that we're living today. So once again, if you have that gift, that would be a great application. Plain truth speaking, Eugene Peterson calls it. So if you have any questions about any of the gifts or whatever, any of our staff would be glad to talk with you. I certainly would. Um, this is a time for us to have a lot of conversations. Nobody, like I don't expect anybody to know anything. Like if you know something, that's awesome. If you don't, let's talk. I might have to go look something up. But we'll talk about it and we'll get it all square. Okay, so so what as we wrap up here? Um, two assignments. This will be our so what. Everybody's got the same so what. We want you to take your assessment, okay? Please do that. Super simple, no pressure, just starting conversations. And then that's number two is find at least one person in your family, in your community group. Maybe it's a close friend, but sit down with somebody, bring your results with you and just say, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to get your thoughts. What's your feedback for me? 
as you think about this assessment result that I've gotten. Okay? Can we do that? Take your gift bag. Take it home. Open it up. See what's in there. Then ask God to use you in somebody's life as a result of exercising that gift. Okay? Let me pray for us and then we'll be, uh, we'll be done. Father in heaven, you are a good gift giver. And uh, we want to know our gifts and use our gifts. And so we pray for your help. And we know that there is uh, nothing I, I can imagine that you would want more for us than for us to faithfully depend upon you for the use of our gifts to helping others. So we're looking forward to the days ahead and uh, grateful for your leadership, Father. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen.